BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the science of success the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than a million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we discuss the proven strategies for building effective relationships, why it's vital to understand that the results you get in the world come from working with other people, how you can see the world from another person's perspective, the tactics for building your credibility, how to get better feedback, and much, much more with our guest, Todd Davis. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. First, you're going to get awesome free guides that we create based on listener demand, including our most popular guide, How to Organize and Remember Everything, which you can get completely for free, along with another sweet bonus guide that you got to sign up to discover what it is by joining the email list today. Next, you're going to get a curated weekly email from us every single week called Mindset Monday. Listeners have been absolutely loving this email. It's short, simple, a few articles and, and stories that we found interesting in the last week. And lastly, you're going to get an exclusive chance to shape the show. You can vote on guests. You can change our intro music, which we voted on a couple weeks ago on the email list. You can even submit questions to upcoming guests. So be sure to sign up, check out the email list. There's some amazing stuff that's only available to subscribers who are on our email list. And you can sign up just by going to successpodcast.com, putting your email in right there on the homepage. Or if you're on the go right now, just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Again, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed how our guest went from a childhood head injury to becoming an accelerated learning expert. We covered memory, speed reading, improving your focus, taking notes like an expert, and went deep into the tactics of accelerated learning. 
We talked about the importance of mastering the fundamentals and got into tons of highly specific and actionable advice that you can use starting right now with our guest, Jim Quick. If you want to master your mind and your ability to learn, be sure to listen to that episode. Today, we have another awesome guest on the show, Todd Davis. Todd is the Executive Vice President and Chief People Officer at Franklin Covey and the author of the new book, Get Better, 15 Proven Practices to Build Effective Relationships at Work. He's responsible for Franklin Covey's global talent development in over 40 offices in 160 countries and previously served as Director of Innovation, developing many of the company's core offerings. Todd, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks, Matt. Pleased to be here. Well, we're super excited to have you on. I'd love to start out, you know, when there's, there's so much knowledge in, in the book, I, when you talk about the idea of effective relationships, what does that mean? Well, I, I think it's a widely held belief and, and a true one that culture matters. You know, the culture of a team, of an organization, of a company can make all the difference. And it's how we define culture. And it's, you know, we, we, we say all the time that people are our greatest assets, but it's actually, and that's true, and it's actually the, the nature of the relationships between those people that I've seen become an organization or a team or a company's ultimate competitive advantage, if you will. So it's, it's important to have the right people on the bus, as Jim Collins says, and then it takes it to a whole different level when you focus on and have really effective relationships between that top talent. I think that's a great point, and it really underscores it's not just about finding and sourcing great people, but the way that they work together is is really essential to achieving any kind of results. Exactly. The, the speed with which you can work, you know, when the trust levels are high, when the interactions, when there's no hidden agenda, all of, all of those things play into really the, the bottom line of the, of the company or organization when you can have uh, effective relationships. And so in my, in my uh, role, in my career, really, for the last 30 years, I've uh, observed and coached leaders at all levels in organizations. And from the literally hundreds of principles and tools and paradigms contained in Franklin Covey's world-class solutions, I've seen, because of the role I'm in, I've seen time and time again those specific behaviors or practices that really accelerate relationships and therefore people's influence or or you know trips them up including myself a lot of a lot of these came from my own mistakes and, and trial and error and so that's what i've honed down into this book you mentioned 15 proven practices to build effective relationships at work and i want to dig into a number of the practices but before we start i want to kind of zoom out and, and talk more about this this notion that you talk about the idea that you get most of your results sort of with and through other people. Right. You know, you, you, uh, there's a, there's a, in fact, I, I was just doing a keynote in Florida yesterday and, and uh, talking about a, a, a play that some people have heard of uh, is written by the French philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre called no exit. And the play begins with these three people in the afterlife and they find themselves, these three souls, I guess I'll call them, find themselves in this room with no door and where the windows are completely bricked up, thus the title, No Exit. So it doesn't surprise us to, to learn that they start to really irritate each other. And because they irritate each other, they try to change or fix each other. And that doesn't go so well. And it only you know serves to escalate their frustration. And while it's only a play, think about it. How often do we 
find ourselves with other people who irritate or who annoy us. And so we try and change or fix them in some fundamental way. Well, in the play, these three characters start to realize that hell isn't fire and brimstone or the torture chamber they'd imagined. But in fact, hell is other people, <laughs> people who won't do what we want them to do. And, and so, you know, why is this important into your question? Well, while we're all measured in a lot of different ways and we have different responsibilities and so we're, you know, lots of different ways to measure us, the ultimate measure for every one of us, regardless of, of your role or your job, is by the results we get. So, you know, how do you get your results? Unless you are a pro golfer, or maybe you run a company where you're the only employee, the rest of us, you and I, all of us, we get our results with and through other people. And so relationships are, are critical to all the very important goals uh, that, that we need to achieve. So that's the, that's the point, is that we get our results not by ourselves, but with and through others. And so it, it behooves us to, to really focus on how to make those relationships more effective. Such a, such a critical thing to understand. And, you know, I mean, if, unless you're essentially sort of a, a, you know, a chess player, or a pro poker player, maybe play tennis, something <laughs> right. where you're, you're solely competing just on individual ability, the vast majority of everything that you do in life, it, it really one of the core competencies necessary to do that is to deeply understand and be able to interact with and influence other people. And in many ways, you know, that's what we focus on in the show and, and why the show really our, our, you know, our podcast kind of even began initially was a fascination of mine of like, how, how can I build a really robust toolkit for influencing and interacting with others? It's such a great point. And, you know, every day in my role as chief people officer, I'm working with people. I just had an experience this morning, incidentally, with an email that was sent to me by an irate uh, account executive that works for us. And this person's furious with this other person. And I, I just, not that we shouldn't be upset, not that we shouldn't, you know, voice our concerns and try to try to help each other improve. But if we could just embrace the principle that you just shared, we 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 get things done through others. And if we can embrace that and work with that and not fight against it and not have this, you know, it's unintentional, but think, oh, I'm I'm on my own in this. I'm the I gotta drive this whole thing. I'm the superstar, whatever. But no, we embrace the fact that we all work together. Those people that do that just are, are much happier, much healthier, and most importantly, are more effective in not just in their professional lives, but, but in their entire lives, in their personal lives as well. So what is that conclusion that we get our results with and through others? How does that impact our behavior? Well, it, it's a mindset, really. <laughs> it all starts out with a mindset. The, uh, the, of the 15 practices, you could, if you pick up the book, you can Go to any one of the practices that resonate with you, and hopefully they all will, except for start with practice one, because practice one, which I call wear glasses that work, is all about the way we see the world. What we see determines everything we do, and of course, we all know what we do gives us the results we get, but it all starts with the glasses that we're wearing. In fact, I remember as a young child receiving my first actual pair of glasses, real glasses. I was in the second grade, and this might sound silly, but I put those on. And for the first time, I could see the leaves, the detail of the leaves up on the trees. And I thought, honestly, before that, before that situation with these real glasses, I thought that that kind of green blurry mass is what you and everybody else saw when they looked up on the trees. That's the challenge is, is that we see things and believe that the, the way we're seeing them is accurate. And sometimes it is. I'm not saying throw out all of your 
you know, strongly held opinions, but consider stepping back and, and understanding that there might be a different way to view things. And so it starts with, with relationships, you know, re- realizing that we're part of a much bigger piece of the, of the picture here. And when we can have that mindset and that paradigm, if you will, then we're in a position to, to look at everything that we do differently, our behaviors. In fact, this person I was just referring to this morning with this email, stepping back and, and not saying, don't be frustrated, but saying, hmm, I wonder why this person he's frustrated with, I wonder why her response was that way. I wonder why she's choosing to do things this way. When we can start to ask ourselves those questions, working in what we call our circle of influence, we become much more effective and, and get to a solution much quicker than those people who just want to stew and, and rant and rave. So how do we start to kind of put ourselves in other shoes or, or see the world from other people's perspectives? Yeah, great question. You know, I was doing an interview uh, a week or so ago and, and uh, I was asked the question, this person said, if, if people who are waiting to talk to you, it's not like I have a doctor's office or anything, nor am I a psychiatrist, but they said, if people were waiting to talk to you and you had a sign out in your waiting area, what would that sign read? That really got me thinking. And I, I came to the conclusion that the sign I would put there would read, have you considered the other person's perspective? Have you considered the other person's perspective? So that's the, you know, that's philosophical, but that's the the point is that taking time to consider a different way to look at things. So the practical application of that, what I coach people, and I've used this for myself many times, coach people to do is look at a situation or a relationship that's not going as well as you'd like it to, circumstance or a person. So let's say I'm really at odds with this person and I'm frustrated for how many reasons. And so I have them go ahead and list the reasons, write it down. You don't need to be with somebody to do this, but write down all of the reasons that make this situation frustrating or this person frustrating to you. And then what I ask them to do is go through that list of reasons, those words or descriptors, and circle those that are facts. And they say, well, how do I know if they're facts? Well, for my activity here, I say, if they're facts, you could you could share this with five other people that know the situation, know the people, and they would agree with you that those things you circled are facts. They always have to back up a little bit. Okay, well, maybe, you know, I circled 10 of them, but maybe seven of them would fall into that. Okay, great. Even if even if nine out of ten fall into that, fall into that. Look at the one or one those that aren't circled. Those are your opinions. Now they, they're strongly held opinions and they may be accurate, but nevertheless, they're opinions. Take the time now to consider what if I were to look at this opinion different way? It sounds really basic and elementary. I'll tell you, it's magic when you do this. You all of a sudden realize, boy, I, I've been saying all along and, and, and believing that Marietta is really lazy. I made that name up. <laughs> Marietta is really lazy. So we're never going to give her anything that we got to have done on time or because she's really lazy. And if I, if I go through that activity I just shared with you and I think, well, I don't know that everybody else would agree with that. Then I start to ask myself, why do I, why am I so convinced Marietta is lazy? Maybe she's not lazy. Maybe, maybe there's something else going on that I haven't taken time to consider. Maybe she's not engaged in this project for a different way. Maybe there's, so you see all the the considerations that I can start to give that now. Again, sounds really elementary. It works wonders to help us start to see maybe a different set of lenses we might want to put on regarding a, a person or a situation. I think that 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 exercise really underscores the importance more broadly of, of self-reflection in this whole process and kind of the, the idea of taking responsibility for your own results and outcomes and sort of putting the burden on yourself to be the person who 
pushes yourself, who, who kind of takes that banner and tries to create the change you want to see. Yeah, you're exactly right, Matt. In fact, practice number nine, and by the way, in the book, each of the chapters of the practices, they end with an application, a practical application like the one I just shared with you. But practice number nine, to your point, is called examine your real motives. And it's just, you just hit on it. It's it's stepping back. Only you know what your real motives are. No one can tell you what they are. You're the only one that knows what your real motives are. You know, if I'm in a, a meeting and I'm feeling the need to talk or share an opinion, is it because I believe that that, that uh, thought that I want to share is really going to contribute to the subject or the, the problem we're addressing? Or am I feeling the need to talk because everybody else is talking? And gosh, I want my boss to know that I'm a smart person too. And so I'm trying to come up with something intelligent to say that that's, a, again, a reflection point of saying, what, what is my real motive here? Well, to the earlier point, with lazy Marietta, <laughs> and if your name is Marietta and you're listening, I'm not talking about you. But you know, what is my what is my real motive? Examine your real motives, Todd. Is my motive to help if I'm a leader to to help grow and develop people, including Marietta, who's on my team, or is my motive to be the superstar that brings this project in on time? I don't care what I think of others. Is my motive to maybe label people because well, I wasn't doing that intentionally. I realized that's making me feel better about myself. So all of those things are, are absolutely what you say, just a, a reflection point, stepping back and deciding what, what are my real motives here? I think that's critical. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk a ton about on the show, and I think probably one of the core lessons that, that really, if you listen to a lot of episodes, will show itself again and again, is this idea that self-awareness is, is really one of the cornerstones of, of, improvement and achieving the results that you want to achieve. So to me, a lot of times when, especially someone who doesn't have a lot of experience examining their own motives and, and, and ideas, I think they can easily fall into the trap of self, de self deception. How do you, how do you avoid that pitfall when you're trying to understand what your motives are? Well, the application for that on examining your own motives is just that it's, you know, so, so look at a, look at a high stakes situation and write out and i really i really caution people and coach people to write these things out at least type them out and i find it's even more effective to write it out it's it's the change or the magic really happens when you actually write the words out not just think about them so write out a high stake situation and then write out the the outcome that you want and then ask yourself why you want that outcome and when I say at least five times, you, you may have heard of the five, the five whys that uh, came to light in the, in the Toyota production era, where they were trying to get the root cause on the assembly line of different problems back in the 80s. And, and it's, it's called the five whys. And it's not, there's no magic about the number five, but it might be three, it might be 10, but you keep drilling down into, and, and why am I feeling that way? Okay, and why is that? And why is that? And you get down to a, a root cause. So once you know your real motives, then you can say, you know, which which motives serve only me, and which motives serve the whole, which are you know me, or, me and others. What happens if I act on just the self-serving motives? We had a situation several years ago where we were going through a restructure here, and we met as a leadership team, and and one of the leaders over a particular part of the business that was going to be impacted, and and several of his people were going to be displaced, and so we all agreed this was the right thing to do. This this restructure. And so I, I talked with him, I'll call him Steve, and said, okay, so Steve, so you're going to get with your, let's say, 10 people and, and talk to them about what's going on. He said, yep. 
and we had eight weeks about to, before this this change was going to happen. About two weeks later, I called him and say had said, "Hey, Steve, how's it going?" He said, "You know, Todd, I want to revisit this." And I said, "Well, what are the people saying?" Well, I haven't talked to him yet, and I was shocked. I said, "Steve, we've eaten into two of the eight weeks for these people to be able to network and start looking for other opportunities. Help me understand why." And he said, "Well." I just, I'm not sure if I agree with it. Well, you agreed with it two weeks ago. Anyway, long story short, we started drilling down and I said, well, Steve, why, why do you disagree? Well, I don't disagree with it, but it's, these are hard conversations. And why are they hard conversations, Steve? Well, because it's going to disrupt people's lives. And what are you, and it sounds, you know, kind of obvious, but what, what are you concerned about disrupting people's lives? Well, anyway, we drilled down to Steve saying, you know, it's the right decision. I've always had a difficult time with hard conversations. I've always avoided them. And at that point, I said, Steve, would you like me to join you on these calls? I'd be happy to do that. And he just breathed this sigh of relief. And, and so that's a, a, a quick example of trying to help someone, and we can use the same process just helping ourselves, get to what is the real thing that's driving why I'm feeling a certain way or why I'm acting a certain way. So, so you got to be honest with yourself and drill down in, in what I call or what we call the five whys. I think that's awesome. And, and I'm a huge proponent of just continually asking why peeling back the layers until you really get to that core understanding. Cause in almost every case, the initial reason that, you know, maybe you're telling yourself you're doing something or you think you're doing something is almost always underpinned by a number of sort of deeper and deeper layers of things of what's really going on. Exactly. So I want to circle back and talk a little bit more about, you know, this idea of taking responsibility for, for your own results in the world and the sense that, you know, and I think you've talked about this and, and, and write about this in the book with the idea that it's not just enough to hope that other people kind of embrace these philosophies, but you have to be the one to say, I'm going to make these changes in the way I interact with people and kind of be the first person to, to take that step forward. Yeah. Well, that, you know, back to the play that I begin the book with and the, and these folks that are so busy in this, uh, in hell, so to speak, this uh, room that's all bricked up. They're so busy trying to change each other, and that only is, you know, making things worse. And, and, and one, other, one other important element in this play, for those of you who have seen it, uh, there, are, there are no mirrors in this room. So, you know, the doors are bricked up, no, the, or the windows are bricked up, no doors, and there are no mirrors. And the point that's being made is we don't take the time to look in the mirror and start with ourselves. And, and honestly, the most effective and successful and how you de define success and influential people in the world start with themselves. You know, Gandhi <laughs> said it best, you know, we be the change we seek in others. It doesn't mean that others don't need coaching. It doesn't mean that others don't need to be put on a performance plan or need, you know, help in certain areas, but we start with ourselves. We start modeling that very behavior that we're looking for in others. And it, I've seen it in my many years of life. It happens every time. If I can start to model or make sure I'm modeling the very behavior that I want in others, it makes the it makes the the difficulty of the dive much easier. So so that's the that's that's the premise there in starting with ourselves. I talk in in um, the book about what we've used a lot for a long time at Franklin Covey, being within your circle of influence versus your circle of concern. So you picture these two circles. The influence circle is, you know, inside the circle of concern. Circle of concern is much broader because as human beings, we're concerned about a lot of things. But what can we actually do something about? Where do we have influence? Now, we often have more influence than we think. But so sometimes, you know, we throw on the towel and think, well, I can't do anything to change that. And that's not good. But on the other hand, 
most of us, many of us spend our time, our efforts, our energy, our resources on things that we can't influence or control. And, and so those people who start with themselves, even again, referring back to this email I saw this morning from this irate <laughs> account executive, I'll be talking to him later today. And we'll have a great, pleasant conversation about, you know, what can you influence? I understand the frustration. I can appreciate why you'd be frustrated. Let's think about what she, the person he's upset with, what she, what might be her reasoning for that. Let's, let's start to analyze that. What are some things you could influence? I can appreciate you're mad. What could you actually influence here? And what would be the best way to influence that? So instead of going over and yelling at her or sending her a, an email, what if, what if the conversation started with, and I'll call her Sarah, Sarah, could you help me understand something? That's a great way to begin any conversation, Matt, when you're, when you're at odds with someone. Instead of saying, I want you to know I'm really upset, or I want you to know I see this really differently and I bugged, or whatever, like the best, one of the best phrases to use is, I wonder if you could help me understand why we're seeing this so differently or why you're choosing to handle this. And, and I'm sure there are, there are pieces of information I'm missing. This is language that I use naturally and I coach others to use all the time. You know, I'm sure, and this is practice 15, I'm, I'm jumping around here, but practice 15 is start with humility. Boy, you got to have a big dose of humility if you're really going to step back and try to understand a situation. So I began conversations like this with, I wonder if you could help me understand why you chose to to handle this situation this certain way. I'm sure I'm missing something here. We've worked together a long time. You're a really talented person. I've learned a lot from you. So I, I'm I'm not, this isn't making sense, but I wondered if you could help me understand that. Boy, you've just lowered everybody's defense mechanism and you can now start to get to a root cause. What a fantastic question. And it's funny, I was dealing with a situation yesterday that I, you know I think that would have been the perfect question to kind of, just create a really open dialogue about what what's the issue, why is this not happening, and can we all collectively, without you know people getting defensive, et cetera, get down to the root cause of the issue? I think it's, it's, it's a fantastic and really simple tool that immediately kind of takes down the defensive barriers and opens up a, just a much more meaningful dialogue. Well, thank you. I'd love to tell you it's because I was just born a genius, but it's really, you know, you're, you're excellent at, at uh, doing podcasts and everything else you do. I just have years of repetition in this. So I, again, I, I, I want to make sure that the listeners don't think, oh, this guy thinks he's so smart. I, I don't, other than this has been my world for, you know, the last 20, 30 years of helping shape conversations so that we can actually move things forward. And so I've, I've just learned from trial and error and lots of experience. And so it's, it's my one, it's my one claim to, to expertise, if you will. <laughs> Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. 
At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hiring the right person takes time, time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire, because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So I want to dig into another practice that I find really interesting is is talking about and focusing on the truth and and making it safe to tell the truth. Can you tell me a little bit about that practice? Yes. Yeah, so practice thirteen is make it safe to tell the truth. You know the whole the whole premise of the book is 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 getting better for us to get better. Somebody asked me the other day, so is this a book I buy for people that have have got challenges? <laughs> well, you could do that, but again, only if you look in the mirror first. So the whole premise is for us to get, where can I get better? Where can I improve? And how do we do that? if we don't know in which areas we do need to improve. So practice 13, make it safe to tell the truth. The meaning behind this is make it safe for others to tell you the truth. You know, Matt, in fact, let me ask you, when was the when was the last time you received some feedback? No, more importantly, when was the last time you asked someone for feedback? So, I mean, this is, I'm a huge fan of, of, kind of seeking <clears throat> seeking the truth and always being always looking for the truth and trying constantly to get feedback. So I'm mm-hmm. constantly asking people for candid feedback and trying to develop relationships with the people that I work with to really have very clear lines of communication. It's something You're great. Go ahead. I was going to say it's something for me that I'm that I'm really obsessed with because I think that the you know feedback can only help you 
I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that I don't get defensive about negative feedback. All I want is all the information that I can gather so that I can make the most effective decisions and choices possible. So I need to take you out on the road with me on all of these keynote speeches I'm giving because you are the poster child for someone who it sounds like makes it safe to tell the truth. That is that is not the norm. And it's, and it's great. I really admire and respect for you and why you do so well at what you do. We, we tend in general to be hesitant to ask for feedback. And it's because we're vulnerable. You know, we, we, we don't want to hear um, what we're not doing so well in general, we're vulnerable. You know, we don't like to give ourselves feedback. I, I stood on the bathroom scale this morning. That was some feedback that I, <laughs> I didn't want to give myself. And so it, you know, raises it more when, when we seek it from others, I will have people share with me all the time. You know, my leader never tells me, gives me any feedback. Well, while that's a challenge, proactive, effective people don't wait for someone to give them feedback. They do what you're doing. They, they, actively go out and seek it and their intent their real motive is to get better what i found is that there are four probably many more but four common reasons why we don't seek feedback more often why we don't make it safe to sell the truth to tell the truth uh, the, the first is we assume bad intent when we should be doing just the opposite you know you don't assume bad intent if we're at lunch and i say hey matt you got a, you got a piece of spinach in your teeth <laughs> you're not thinking well, why are you trying to be so critical of me that's just feedback because i care about you and and you know don't want you to be embarrassed with spinach in your teeth and yet if i say to to you hey i noticed that in meetings you tend to kind of dominate the discussions and it doesn't give people a, a chance to share well then we start to feel defensive on this you know subjective feedback don't assume bad intent assume good intent 99% of the time people just want to help. So that's the that's one of the, the first things I see. The second thing is what you've already talked about, ask for feedback. You need to ask for feedback, not wait for it. And now that sounds like an obvious, but it's the way we ask for feedback. For, for example, if I'm giving a presentation and I notice my friend Matt in the audience and I walk up to you right after the presentation, a thousand people are there and I say, hey, Matt, good to see you. What did you think of my presentation? What are you, what are you most likely going to say? Oh, it was great. Yeah, <laughs> you better. <laughs> okay. And that's what most of us would do. But but think about this. What if I, the day before the presentation, I call my friend Matt. I say, hey, Matt, I notice you're going to be in this presentation tomorrow. Could I ask you a favor? Would you mind taking down some notes of what you see that I could do better? I mean, sure, I'd love to hear what you liked about it, but I'm really drilling down on where I could even improve better my presentation and my delivery style. Would you mind doing that? And then maybe we could get together later in the week and you wouldn't mind sharing those things with me. Both scenarios, I'm asking for feedback, but very different intent you can see there. You know, one, I'm kind of just seeking validation, want to feel good about it. And the other one, like you, sounds like you do on a regular basis, I'm truly interested in getting better. A third, a third area or step that I find is critical is evaluating the feedback. One reason I found that people don't ask for feedback is they think they have to implement all of it. And that's not true. Only you are the one that decides, you know, what you will and won't implement. So evaluate the feedback, certainly listen respectfully. Oh my gosh, you ask the person for the feedback, write it all down, but then you evaluate and decide what resonates with you and the role you're in and what you're trying to accomplish. And then the fourth step is just to act on it. Acting on it doesn't mean implementing it. Acting on it means you digest it, you consider it, you, you thank the person, you follow up with them. You, it's really the, the key in making it safe for them to continue to be telling you the truth by the way you follow up. I like to remind people, it's important to remember that as nervous as we might be, some of us, in asking for feedback, 
they're just as nervous in giving the feedback. So, so take that into consideration. If you're truly interested in getting better and you want to have a huge group of people, like it sounds like you do, Matt, that will willingly give you honest and sincere feedback in, a, in an effort to help you get better at what you do. I think that's so critical. And, and you touched on a really key point, which is this idea of knowing the source of the feedback and kind of evaluating it. Because I think it is important to understand that all, I think all feedback is relevant information, but it's not necessarily true in all cases. And so, you, you know, or maybe the source giving you the feedback isn't qualified to be giving you, you know, certain types of feedback or information. So I think it's really important to also understand truly sort of what are the intentions of the person giving you feedback? What are the, what are their qualifications and their credibility to be able to give you meaningful input on whatever particular thing you're sort of looking for feedback on? That's a, that's a really good point. And certainly when people volunteer feedback, that, that's that's really critical. And, and it's also critical when you've asked people for feedback, but you need to be really careful here too. If you ask someone for feedback, you want to evaluate who you're asking for the feedback. Do they know anything about creating podcasts? Do they know anything about giving keynotes? It, you, so you want to you know choose carefully. Stephen M. R. Covey, he's the son of the late Dr. Stephen R. Covey. Stephen R. Covey, of course, is the best-selling author of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But his son, when he uh, he wanted to you know certainly emulate and follow in his father's footsteps in his character and in his business sense and all that, but not in his public speaking. Stephen M. R. Covey, the son, had no interest in that. He wasn't very good at it. Well, many years ago, he came out with his own best-selling book, The Speed of Trust, and so he therefore found himself having to do keynotes, and sometimes alongside his world-renowned father. And he, he said, by his own admission, he wasn't good at it. So he called in a couple of, of his trusted colleagues and asked them to go to his next speech and give him feedback. Well, he tells me this story. They gave him, it was like 42 pieces of, of feedback, 42 things he needed to do differently. And his next keynote was like three days later. Well, he tried to implement them all, and he said it was a disaster. He said it was the worst speech of his life. So he stepped back, and just to your point, he carefully evaluated what of those 42 things really resonated with what he was doing and trying to accomplish and what didn't. And while he heard it all and appreciated it all, he picked you know three or four things and really honed in and worked on those and picked a few more things, never attempting to do all 42 things. And he has become one of the, one of the really most sought-after speakers in the world, particularly on this topic of trust. So that is the importance, as you mentioned, of really evaluating and analyzing the feedback that you're given. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that one of the things, and I mean, I, I do want to say, by no means am I, you know, a perfect receiver of feedback in all cases, I and mean, we all have our own sort of cognitive biases and blind spots and everything else. But I think that the quest to to find and gather information that can help you improve, and the sort of flipping the switch from trying to hide your mistakes and weaknesses to kind of bringing them into the light. And understanding that information about them is going to help you get better or gap fill or be able to overcome and improve on those weaknesses is, is, a, is a fundamental shift that I think really makes a huge difference between people who kind of get stuck in, in the patterns of self-sabotage and people who actually go out and achieve tremendous results. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So I'm curious. I mean, one of the other uh, practices that, that kind of jumped out at me that I thought was really interesting was this idea of, of behaving your way to credibility. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means and, and how we can sort of create credibility for ourselves? You bet. So in fact, I'll ask you, think of, think of someone in your life who, who just, they, they jump to the top of the list when you think of someone who's really credible. 
and without sharing with me who you know their name it doesn't matter. I wouldn't know them anyway. But what are the reasons? Give me just three or four reasons why you you're thinking of someone right now who's really credible in your life. They they, they do what they say. They achieve a lot of results. They get stuff done. They don't make a lot of excuses. Mm-hmm. All yep. Great, great reasons. Great reasons. Credibility. Th- those are absolutely reasons that someone is credible. These reasons and more fall into two buckets, and you got to have both to be credible. And it's character and it's competence. So you know they do what they say they're going to do. Character. They get great results, as you said. Competence. And and plenty of one. Or an overabundance of one does not make up for a lack of the other. You've got to have both. For, for example, an example I like to use is, you know, I might we might be best friends, and I remember your birthday every year, and I know your, you know, all of your favorite places to eat, and you let me watch your dog when you're out of town. But yet, when I offer to pack your parachute for your first skydiving lesson, <laughs> you might at least want to know, you know, how much parachute packing experience I have, which is done by the way, Matt. But on the other hand, you know, it would be interesting for you to learn that the person who did pack your parachute had recently been acquitted of a manslaughter charge because of a technicality. <laughs> you know, they might have all the parachute packing certifications in the world, but if something's off about their character, you know, it gives you it gives you cause for for pause. So it's a it's a combination of character and of competence. And like I say, one doesn't make up for the other. So you, you got to have the, the, the character, the integrity, and then, and then the skill set. And, and then something that I really emphasize in this particular practice and chapter, because I've seen it time and time again. In fact, I saw it with myself. I learned this lesson the hard way, is you take the long view. So often I see people who want credibility overnight, or they want the credibility because I know I can do it. So gosh, you should know I can do it. You should just know that. You should trust me. And, and while there is another practice called extend trust, Uh, We don't extend trust naively. And so taking the long view means being comfortable with the fact that establishing or increasing our credibility with someone takes time. And it's through a a track record of both character and competence shown in showing up time and time again. So that's the essence of, of behaving your way to credibility versus, you know, trying to talk yourself into or out of the situation you behave your way into. I really like the the kind of the tandem approach of of you have to have both character and competence. I think that that that, that really clearly encapsulates sort of what creates credibility. That's a, a great insight. Well, and and thank you. And for the for the practical application on this, which I, I like to use a lot with people, is in fact I was just working with someone last week on this, and they and they're they hadn't lost credibility, but they really needed to increase their credibility in the role they're in with with some key stakeholders. And so what I coach them to do, and this is in the book as well, is look, identify at least three character qualities and competency qualities in this particular role that you believe are important to that person with whom you're trying to increase credibility. And then write those down and then rate yourself on one to 10, 10 being high, how you would rate yourself in each of those. Okay. now take that list. To the, to the person with whom you're trying to increase your credibility and just be to openly transparent with them. Say, hey, I, I, know you, I know you like me and you trust me, and, and, but, but I really want to increase my credibility with you in this particular area or on this particular project or whatever it is. Here are the things I've identified that I believe would be important to you. I may have missed some. Would you do me a favor? Would you look at these, add any that I've missed? Look how I've rated myself, and and would you please go ahead and rate me? And again, I'm trying to get better, so I don't I don't you don't need to rate me a ten in all of them, especially if you don't believe that. And on anything that she or he rates you lower than a nine, 
Now you know where to start. And you can say to the person, okay, I saw that you gave me a nine in timeliness, Debbie. Can you tell me what would you need to see there? Do you mean, am I late to work? Or am I, you know, tell me what you see there. It opens up the, it opens up the dialogue so that you actually have a roadmap now on, on where you need to focus to, to get better and increase your credibility in this case. I'd like to dig into kind of the other side of the coin now and talk a little bit about what do you see sort of the biggest mistakes or pitfalls you see people making when they try to influence others or, or even when they try to implement some of the practices that you've written about? Well, it, the biggest and most obvious, and this won't be, shouldn't be new news to anyone, it's when I'm, I'm trying to influence you to do something differently that, than, than I am doing. In other words, I'm not walking my talk. So pretty tough to, you know, it's the do as I say, not as I do problem. So, so I've got to be modeling and not perfect. Nobody's perfect in any of these ever, but, but I've got to be seriously attempting to model the very things that I'm trying to, to influence you. in. I think that's the first thing. I think uh, the second thing is to make sure the person understands your intent. I'll, I'll tell you, because of the role I'm in, I begin a lot of conversations when there's a performance issue or when there's a, a, a worry about someone. I begin a lot of conversations with, I want you to know my only intent is to help resolve this situation or to help you, you know, be successful in your role. I, I begin any performance conversation. We have a formal performance process here. If it gets to that point where someone's really struggling in their particular role, good people, always good people, but maybe a maybe a mismatch for the role, or maybe just haven't had direct feedback that they, they need to have. And so I will begin the conversation with, and it's very sincere from the heart, you know, Matt, I want you to know that my only intent in this conversation we're having with you and, and your leader is to help you improve and be wildly successful in your role. Now, if you can say that it comes from the heart, boy, does that start the conversation off on the, on the right, on the right to, in the right place. So I think making sure that the other person understands your intent is to is to just help them, not to be critical, not to try and you know show them the door, not to make yourself look smarter than they are, but just to help. You just want to help. So, it, and this is something I think that I've I've dealt with personally in some instances. If someone's kind of in a defensive or or emotional state, uh, how can we try to effectively communicate our intent to them? in a way that sort of takes down those defensive barriers? Well, I think when, when emotions are high, I don't think I know when emotions are high, that's not the moment to start, to start addressing the problem. And, and, you know, the late Dr. Covey used to say, and I, and I just love this because I'm, I'm reminded of it every day with people fast is slow and slow is fast. And so when emotions are high, the first step is to take time to understand them. And practice 10 is talk less, listen more. That's particularly relevant when emotions are high. So when, like this, this person I've been referring to, this account executive that's upset, I'm going to spend probably the first 15 minutes of our conversation saying nothing other than, hey, help me understand the situation. We as human beings, we need what I like to call psychological air. We just need to feel understood. And if we can, if we can feel understood, then we can get to a place where we can start to resolve a problem or address a situation. But we jump past that first part, Matt, because we're, we're fixers. We want to help. We're busy. We want to just you know get to the solution. And and in the end, it ends up taking a ton more time when we jump to the solution versus taking whatever time is necessary up front 
to really just understand. Years ago, it, it, one of my teenage daughters was uh, wanting to move out uh, of our house, <laughs> and, and we're good parents, so she had no reason to do that. But I was, I, I was concerned not about her moving out. She was just out of high school, but who she was moving in with and the situation. And I was, so we would discuss it, not really argue at that point. And then I was on an international business trip for ten days, and I came home to find out she had moved out while I was gone, while I was gone. I was pretty upset. And so she'd come over for Sunday dinner with the rest of the family. And, you know, we'd have dinner and then we'd start a discussion and it would go about five minutes and then the argument would start about why did she do this and can't believe it, blah, 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 blah. We just argued end in tears and, and uh, week after week, this is what happened. I'm embarrassed to tell you, I worked here at Franklin Covey at that time. I mean, I, I'm not teaching this stuff and, and, pretending at that time to live this stuff, I guess I have to say. Well, I still remember the Sunday afternoon when we were falling into the same pattern. And after dinner, I just thought, Todd, you got to do something different here. This is not working. And so while I admit it comes natural to me now, it didn't at the time. It was kind of forced. I remember my daughter, her name's Sydney. We went out on the back swing and she said, okay, well, let's have it. And I said, what's that? She said, why I've made this big mistake. And I said, you know what, Sydney, you're, you make your own decisions. I said, I just, I just love you. And you seem really stressed. Well, I'm not stressed. And I said, okay, well, that's okay. So then we sat there and talked. She talked, I just bit my tongue and she started to share with me. One of her roommates was irritating her. And all I said was, you know, I wanted to say, well, I told you this would happen, but all I said was, boy, that must be really frustrating. And it was like a light switch went on. Then she started to share more and I had to keep biting my tongue and just saying, wow, I bet that's hard or I bet that's difficult. And this, this volume of information opened up and, and believe it or not, it's like out of a movie at the end of her, you know, time sharing, she said, I don't know what to do, dad. Well, those had been the words I've been longing to hear for, I don't know how long, but even then I bit my tongue and instead of jumping in and saying, well, here's what you do. You move out of that situation. I said, well, you know what, Sydney, you're a smart girl. I know you're going to figure it out. And then she started pushing, well, what, how do you think I should do this? So again, sorry for the personal example, but boy, I've just seen it time and time again in my life. If we'll take the time to let someone share and really just try to understand them, not agree or disagree, not to suggest or fix, just to share, then we open up the pathway to start resolving the situation. It's a, it's a really powerful example, and thank you for sharing it. Uh, I think it really grounds a lot of these lessons for the listeners you know, it's funny, I, I, I sometimes call it sort of the, the Socratic method of influencing people, which is one of the things I'll do if, if I can't, if I'm trying to kind of influence someone subtly is just keep asking them questions of, well, tell me why you're doing it this way and tell me why that's the case and tell me why. And eventually, you know, you can kind of, you start to pull out all the reasoning and the, and the logic and all the sort of thought process behind it. And they, in many instances, will sort of see for themselves oh, maybe that doesn't really make a lot of sense the way that I'm yeah. doing it, right? And if they have the realization themselves, it's it's infinitely more powerful than you kind of trying to force it into their heads. Oh, people, someone said to me, and I wrote about this in the book, someone said to me when they were leaving my office once, they said, man, you just know, you come up with the answers for everything. And I just laughed. I said to this person, I didn't come up with anything. You came up with the answer. So it's just what you said. If you ask the right questions and not in a manipulative way, not because you're trying to steer them, you're just trying to help them, what you just said, uncover what the real issues are. 90% of the time, they'll they'll solve or at least get on the pathway to start solving the situation or solving the problem. If they feel heard, if they feel understood, if they feel like they're with someone who who really just wants to understand and not fix or change them. 
I'm curious, what's the most effective relationship that you've ever had and why? Wow. I have not been asked that question before. <laughs> if my wife's listening, I'd better say with her. But I mean, it's not, yeah, the most effective relationship is, is a good friend of mine. And uh, we've known each other for 21 years now. And why is it most effective? It's most effective because through our friendship, we've, we've really, we're, we're very different personalities in that we've taken the time to understand each other. And so communication is very quick because we kind of know what each other's thinking. And so I want to be careful here to say, well, does that just happen? I, I don't think so. I think it's been developed over time because of what we just finished talking about, taking the time to really understand someone, what drives them, what motivates them, what are their hopes, what are their fears, what are their aspirations in life? And I think when we when we take time, and I don't want to make this too, you know, airy fairy, but 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 in the end, really, we're all about relationships, I think, or we should be. I, I don't know that much else matters when all's said and done. I mean, yep, results matter and work matters and all of those things, but in the end, uh, in fact, uh, someone asked me the other day what you know what was one final thought I could give, and I was reminded of a a bumper sticker I saw quite a while ago. I was following a. I was following a motorhome towing a boat, and I think I'm exaggerating this, but I, I swear they had like some ATVs up on top. They had like all these toys piled on all these trailers or all this trailer. And the bumper sticker, and, and it's a popular one people have seen, it said he, and I'll be politically correct here and say or she, but he or she who dies with the most toys wins. And while I would love to have every one of those toys that I was following, I honestly, Matt, thought to myself, for me anyway, he or she who dies with the most meaningful relationships wins. And that's just kind of my philosophy. And it's what makes me happy. And it's what makes me effective in, in my various roles that I play. I think that's a really important lesson. And, and I mean, if you look at and study, you know, sort of people who are, who are in the last moments of their lives or talking about their regrets, etc. It seems like relationships are, are really recurrent again and again and again, kind of come back to at end of life, people think that the most important things in their lives were their relationships. I have yet to meet anybody who doesn't feel that way. So that's a pretty deep note, but I want to I want to transition to sort of a, a much more surface level question, uh, which is something we kind of ask as we're wrapping up many of our interviews. What's kind of you know one piece of of actionable advice or kind of homework you'd give to the listeners as a starting point for implementing some of the practices we've talked about today? Well. I, uh, you know, practice 15, the last practice in the, in the book is ironically titled start with humility. And, uh, I had, I had an idea many years ago of writing a book on leadership about humility because I had worked with or for so many great leaders and some that weren't so great. And, but the common thread among the great ones, there were many things that went into their great leadership, but it was this foundation of humility. So I, I was putting together some material for this, just the beginnings of it. And one day it came to me, I thought, I know what the title is. I'm so excited. The title is going to be Lead with Humility. And I Googled it to make sure, you know, there wasn't a book already written on that. Well, in fact, there was <laughs> a book. And not only was there a book titled Lead with Humility, but it was written by Pope Francis himself. <laughs> so it's actually written by another author, but he's, he uses Pope Francis as this example through, through all of the great leadership qualities that start with humility. And so I didn't write that book. I decided not to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Pope. But, but it is the last chapter in the book because 
we can we can look at all of these areas we think we need to improve or we do need to improve. We can we can focus our energy and our efforts on all of these things. But if we're lacking in humility, humility is not a weakness. Humility is a strength. It's the greatest strength we can have. Humility is the thing that helps us forgive. It's the thing that tells us no matter how successful we are, we didn't do it on our own. It gives us you know the courage to be honest with coworkers. It reminds us to be patient with ourselves to know that all of us are in this process of, of, of getting better. So that's, that's uh, my, my parting thought on this, is that we, we, we need to really ask ourselves, understand what our real intent is, what our real motives are, and, and make sure that it's based or grounded in humility, that, that we don't think of ourselves as all that and, you know, and more, but that we're all here to, to help each other continually be getting better. And where can listeners find you and, and the book and your work online? If they will go to getbetterbook.com, that's www.getbetterbook.com. They'll have links to and information on everything that uh, we've talked about and a lot more. Well, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing uh, not only some really impactful uh, stories, but also some great and actionable advice. Really appreciate having you on here and, and you sharing all this wisdom. Well, I appreciate being invited. It's been great to get to know you better. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. First, you're going to get an exclusive curated weekly email from us every single week called Mindset Monday. This is articles, stories, links, things that we found interesting in the last week. Next, you're going to get an exclusive chance to shape the show. You can vote on guests, submit your own personal questions to guests that we're going to have on the show that we may ask on the podcast, vote on things like new intro music, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get free guides that we create based on listener demand, including our most popular guide, How to Organize and Remember Everything, which you can get completely for free, along with another sweet bonus guide, a surprise, so you got to sign up to get it by joining our email list today. Again, you can just go to successpodcast.com, sign up right on the homepage, or if you're on the go right now, if you're driving around, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. The greatest compliment you can give us is referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. That helps more and more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talked about in this episode, links, transcripts, everything, and much more, be sure to check out the show notes as well. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Success.